It's time for JT the Brick. How are we doing? Baby, I'm great. JT, how are you doing? I'm not a journalist. I'm an opinionated sports talk host. We have a goal. We have ideas. We know exactly what we want to do here. Just win, baby. The Raiders' schedule is brutal. It's a second-place schedule that's front-loaded heavy and back-loaded heavy. The fans of the Raider Nation. Sound off like you got a pair. JT the Brick. I'm talking about the notorious ones, the out-of-control fans, the passionate fans. All of you fans are invited to be a part of the show. I'd like you to come in big and come in with a purpose. And that's it. Use the phone like a weapon. Enjoy everything we do. And please always feel welcome to call in and to tweet and to be a part of the show. Fair enough? And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. JT with you as we continue. And we are brought to you by Resorts World. Wow. Got people coming in from Denver. They've never been to Resorts World. They want to go see it. Doghouse Saloon, home of Monday Night Football, the 8 Cigar Lounge, where I'll be entertaining some friends this weekend there. Love it over there. Head on out to Resorts World. Proud partner of our show. Benjamin Albright will join us from KOA in Denver coming up momentarily. And Josh McDaniels, head coach of the Raiders. He's got a lot to say coming up here in about... 15 minutes. So stick around for that. That's pretty good. The head coach of the team, the number one or two Bronco insider, and passionate Raider, kind enough to join us as we open up this hour here. Go ahead. That's what, what's up, JT, man? What's up, man? It's always great to call in, man, and get this, get some stress off your chest calling into Raider Nation Radio, JT. But, you know, this week, man, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just still in I, – I still try to get myself hyped for the Broncos this year because I hate the Broncos. But I'm also just still like we're, we're, we're still on that teeter-totter, JT. You know, you hear Derek, what he says in his press conferences about, and he said it a couple of times, that I throw the ball where Josh wants me to throw the ball. You know, and then you got Devontae on the other side. When he comes out, he says, you know, I've been getting covered like this for three, four years, but me and Aaron, we made adjustments on the fly. And, you know, I know that Devontae has – I know that he knows that he's patient. Devontae knows who he is and where he is. I'm just hoping Derek and, and Josh – can catch up to speed to where Devontae is because we know with everything that was said with, with Dan Orlowski and, and this, that, and the other, there were plays that were bad throws at timings where the playmaker was open. Get the ball to the playmaker and let your playmaker make plays because that's what he's paid for, to make plays. So those are the things I think. I don't, I'm not personally thinking it was a dig at Derek to where it was, what, was anything hateful, and Derek even said it wasn't. I didn't take it as a hateful. I take it as sometimes as some very hard um, um, constructive criticism can really make a better play, a man a better player. I have to take it every day, man. It's hard to do at times. But those who can take it with some humility and learn from it, which Derek says he's a man of that, that's all we want to see. Take it learn from it, Derek. Roll with it. Trust your playmakers to make plays. That's all you got to do. The plays are there. We know it's still early, JT. They got to get on the page. But you know what? Tua, Tua ain't all, is already off to a start. Uh, who else is off to a spurt, start with a good young team? The, 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 the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's teams out there doing it. This is year nine. There's no excuses. I can't give no excuses when we see other players making plays with their playmakers. Let's go, JT. I want to see a big one this week, and I'd love, I love for this train to get rolling at home against the Denver Broncos. Let's go. Come on. All right. That's passionate Raider as I go to Benjamin Albright 
from the Broncos flagship KOA. Fantastic insider, great NFL insider. And Benjamin, you can imagine what it's like out here in Las Vegas. People are freaking out 0-3, and the Raiders have been in a lot of those games and played three out of six halves at a high level. How does everybody see the Raiders in Denver coming into this one? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think they see the Raiders as a team that have been in all three games and just kind of let them get away from them. And conversely, I think a lot of the national narrative on the Broncos is that they've hung around in games and managed to find a way to win a few of them. Uh, you know, Nathaniel Hackett, obviously, I think there's uh, a lot of talk out there that maybe he's a little bit in over his head. Um, and that this, this offense with Russell Wilson really hasn't come together as fast as they've wanted. Broncos are playing excellent defense right now, I'll tell you that. But the offense, man, it, if, if this is the crawl, walk, run rubric, they might just be sitting upright and not even hit the crawl phase yet. Yeah, it's interesting because I watched every one of the Broncos games, and I wouldn't say the defense has come to play, and I want to get into that with you in a second, and the clock management and you know the play calling and some of it would hack it, especially early on, but they're fortunate. I'd be thrilled if I was a Bronco fan and they're 2-1, and one, considering how they won those games. They're only going to get better from here, you would think, as that offense starts to click. Yeah, that'd be ideal. I mean, they're moving the football. They're just not scoring. Uh, you talk about a team that's going into last week was number one in the NFL in yards per drive, number seven in total offense, uh, going into that, uh, going to that Niners game. And, you know, they're moving the football. They just weren't scoring. And so I, I tend to think that they're going to learn how to score before they're going to forget how to move the football. All right, so let's get into what Russell Wilson hasn't done so far. And it's a new playbook, and it's new players, but I saw him working out with those guys a lot in the offseason, and he demands greatness, preparation, early, leave late, and all that. What's the struggle been, the reads, the progressions? What are you seeing? Well, I think it's a combination of marrying up what Hackett wants to do in this outside zone, you know, zone boot offense versus, um, you know, losing, also losing Tim Patrick early on. Tim Patrick was a, was a big time target for us. He was looking for Patrick and Cortland Sutton everywhere. And Jerry Judy was kind of the forgotten man. And now he's trying to rebuild the rapport with Jerry Judy. And it just, it just doesn't seem like it's there. They had him wide open on the sprint out, um, last week and, and just missed each other. Uh, Jerry dropped what four passes, I think, in that game and kind of reverted back to how he was in his rookie season with dropping balls. So I get the large part of it. Uh, I think part of it's Russ is still getting up to speed. A lot of quarterbacks have struggled in their first year in this offense. Aaron Rodgers had his first, his worst year, his first year in this offense. Matt Ryan had his worst year, the first year in this offense. So, you know, I, I, apparently it's one of those offenses that takes a while to get, but once you get it, you turn around, you start getting NFC championships and contending for MVPs. Benjamin Albright is our guest. Let's move on to the offensive line. Uh, what is the strength of this offensive line? Because the Raiders have Chandler Jones, who hasn't shown up yet, literally hasn't shown up yet, and Max Crosby, who's a hell of a player coming off the edge. Well, yeah, uh, and that, that, is a, that is a fearsome duel right there, a little interest for the Broncos because there's a lot of interest in Chandler Jones here. Of course, we ended up with Randy Gregory, who's mm-hmm. been worth every penny, but Jones is a guy a lot of people had their eye on. Um, you know, the, the left side of the line is the strength with Garrett Bowles, Dalton Reisner. Uh, the right side has been a state of flux. Quinn Miners, the right guard, got hurt. Graham Glasgow was in there. Miners should be back for this one. Billy Turner never showed up. He's still hurt, not playing well. Cam Fleming has been on the right side. Fleming has been an excellent run blocker, but has been an absolute liability in pass pro and so Chandler Jones may get on the board in this one uh, if he's lined up over there on the right side. I have Josh McDaniels coming up next and it's interesting the respect he has for Denver was a long time ago when he was a young coach there went back won multiple more Super Bowl rings as a coordinator he's looking for his first win do you see it as coaching issues or the fact that there's some drops from Darren Waller they don't have great chemistry yet with Devontae game in and game out or the Raiders are suffering injuries just like the Broncos coach or quarterback in your mind 
Uh, I, a little bit of both. I mean, you know, with anything, there's three sides to every story, his, hers, and the truth. Uh, I, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, Derek uh, was slow to get Gruden's offense. We saw him get better every year, but he was slow to get Gruden's offense. He's always been kind of the guy who's slow and then warms up as you go along. Uh, I thought the emergence of Mac Hollins last week was going to be huge for you guys coming into this week because you can't just triple down on, on Devontae Adams. Um, and I, I think that's, that makes you dangerous. As long as you got that offense, you're going to be dangerous because the other side of the ball, I don't think anybody's scared of that defense. Um, Nate, be out for this game officially because uh, that, that's the one corner that scares anybody. Yeah, the, the injury report coming out. He's trying to get out on the field there as we'll take a look at that later on today and tomorrow. And injuries have been a really big problem around the league. Guys get hurt all the time. It's next man up. The problem is the Raiders have a lot of young players on that offensive line and they've already been wearing thin there using replacement players, benching players and try to get it right. Benjamin Albright as we wrap it up. So Russell Wilson, I followed his entire career, been on my, my radio show's been on in Seattle for most of the, my career, and what he did with the children's hospitals and in the community is incredible. He was a brilliant philanthropist up in Seattle and still has ventures up there. I can only imagine what he's going to do after Peyton was there. John Elway, what is he doing on the ground in Denver that's impressive? Well, he's already started the children's hospital thing. He does it every Tuesday. Won't let cameras come in usually to you know to see it. Just wants to to, to get in there and do a the thing. Him and his wife Sierra. They've they've invested in several other charities around. He gets involved, uh, you know, with all that kind of stuff. And I think that's kind of cool because I think that Russ on camera comes across sometimes a little cheesy, but Russ off camera comes across very sincere in his efforts to, to you know to make the world around him a better place. And you know, I wish that uh, I wish that person would get conveyed a little bit more on the camera and on the microphone. A big deal for him. His first division game. His first game in Las Vegas as a Bronco. He played in the Pro Bowl here, that flag football game, and got hit around a little bit. I got to think he's pretty fired. I I would think his wife is fired up. She's going to be all glammed out to come to Vegas here. It's a big game for him and his mindset in the division now, not in the NFC West, but the AFC West. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I, I do. I, I think it's. I think it's a division thing. I think it's. Uh, you know, just the way that this season has started because all three of those games. I mean, the Niners are a good football team, but the other two teams they played were not. I mean, Seattle is not a good football team. The Texans aren't a good football team, and the Broncos scraped by or lost uh, in those two games. So I, I think they need to come out and make a statement, and they're going to try. Uh, you know, we'll see if they're able to do that. We'll see if the offense is able to kind of get it together and get in sync. But uh, as it sits right now, you got a fan base that's sitting there thinking the sky's falling, uh, and you're sitting there two and one with a share of the division right now. Well, that's one thing we have in common. We've been doing this a while. We're both on social media. We both cover two different teams, and the trolls come at us all the time, and we go after the trolls, right? you got to go right back at them. You know, when they say yeah, something, I, I like when you get into a little tiff every once in a while. You're not going to sit back and take it with people with their thumbs in their basement, right? Yeah, you got to remind them. You got to, hey, I got this job. If you want it, you come take it from oh, me. Oh, right? believe me, I got the coach's interview coming up here in three minutes, and everybody wants me to sit in front of them with a hatchet and say, "Hey, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll take myself out for you, coach." I'd love to see that. But hey, come on up to the press box. I hope I see you up there and catch you at the game. Hey, I will do, brother. You got it. There he is, Benjamin Albright. He's good. He's really good. He's a good follow, man. Those Bronco fans, when they come at him, he goes right back at him. I get fans that get upset with me. I'm like. I call you an idiot after what you said heinously to me. Bobby's laughing, right? Bobby, right? it's like they say something so heinous about me, even my family, and then you say stupid or dummy, 
And then they want to fight through the phone. You're kidding. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You on social media? Yeah, I've no. been better. I've been better. My Come sons on. are now running it. My sons now have the password, so they run it. They, they're, probably, not the, they're not the crazy guys. They're, they're the calm probably, guys. Probably yeah, they thing. put up the, the new YouTube podcast, the videos, and all that. So I gave them my password, and they're in college, so I am a little bit concerned about that. All right, Josh McDaniels, head coach of the Silver and Black, 11 o'clock this morning. I was over at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. Here's our conversation. We welcome in head coach Josh McDaniels. Coach, before we get to Denver, we look back at Tennessee, the second-half defense I want to get into. Yep. What was so positive there? They scored on their first three drives, the adjustment at halftime, yep. and how you were able to pick up the momentum. Yeah, I thought we played better early down defense, stayed out of uh, the third and shorts, which they converted some of those in the first half, uh, and were able to create some negative plays, you know, and, and uh, created some pressure and some penetration in the running game. Uh, you know, hit the quarterback a little bit, which was important. And we tried to tighten up the coverage, um, you know. And so I just think we, we played better overall team defense, which gave us an opportunity to kind of make our way back into the game. And, again, it goes back to trying to play four quarters, but uh, definitely some, some bright spots there in the second half. So with the personnel you had tightening up that defense in the second half, closing down those windows, yep. really took away the Titans' passing game. And they wanted to run it and bleed some clock. They did. And I, I give a lot of credit to our – our corners because, you know, uh, Rock was dealing with some things. Yeah. Nate was dealing with some things. So Amik went in there and played. Sam Webb, the rookie, went in there and played. So, um, you know, had to have some guys step up and play. And, and, again, that was what was called for in terms of the way we tried to tighten the coverage up. Yeah, and Matt Collins had a big game. And, again, yep. his ability to just get the targets but make the big catches in crunch time, what was that like? Yeah, they double they double teamed Darren and Devontae uh, a number of times, du- double digits uh, clearly in the game. And, uh, they were trying to, to force the ball to, to go to somebody else. Um, Derek read the coverage pretty well and, and saw that. And then, you know, Mac was able to make the plays when his opportunities were presented to him. And we're going to need people to do that. Right. You know, when you see teams trying to take away, you know, one or two of your best players with two men, um, then somebody else is isolated in single coverage. And those guys got to do damage. There's been some fair and ridiculous debate about targets, and you're getting it all the time Mm -hmm. at press conferences. And I wanted to stay with that because the theory, there's only one football, so we could be talking about this all year. There's going to be someone who doesn't get the targets, but all these guys stick together and say they want to win, and they do. So this target question is going to continue to come up with all these weapons. That's right, and I think the biggest thing for us is we got to keep telling the quarterback, throw it to the right guy. You know, and, right. and sometimes, you know, sometimes, look, one-on-one doesn't mean he's wide open, but you give him an opportunity. Um, and then other times when it's double coverage or the coverage says you really can't throw it here because there's too many bodies there, uh, then Derek has to do a good job of being disciplined and, and taking what the defense has given us. So uh, there's no shortcut to this. Mm-hmm. You know, we're getting used to how defenses are playing us. What the scouting report says before we get into the game right. is not the same as the way we're being played. And so we're now learning – We're really, you know, you kind of take the scouting report with a grain of salt now. You know, when you have players like Devontae and Darren and Hunter, you know, sometimes defenses do different things to try to to take them away. And so when they do those things, we have to adjust. You know, hopefully we can build that into our game plan. But, uh, again, it ultimately comes back to being able to execute. And wherever the ball goes, we got to be able to come through. In regards to Derek, from what you saw in the past and now after three games, could he be better playing more up-tempo? Does he like playing with speed in practice? Is that something we could be seeing more of? Yeah, Derek does a good job. Derek does a good job of a lot of things because he sees it so well. He's a smart guy, veteran player, seen a lot of things. So 
Um, you know, tempo is something that we could certainly, you know, uh, get into a little bit more as we go forward. Um, and again, I, I've, I've said this to our team, you know, since we put in our offense the very first day, regardless of what we choose to do, execution is the, is the number one thing we have to do. You know, so if you can go fast and run bad plays, it doesn't really do much for you. Uh, if you get, you know, big or small or run it or throw it, if you don't execute it, you're not going to go very far. Quick comment on Josh flying in and playing, yeah. what he was going through, and yeah. the versatility you've been seeing with him and yeah. all the running backs. Yeah, uh, proud of the effort that he gave us. Um, you know, boy, he wasn't feeling well last week. Yeah. And so uh, it's a tribute to him and how much he wanted to help us try to win the game, to come in there and, and do what he had to do to get himself ready to play. Um, played more than I probably thought he was yeah. going to. Um, but that was because he was telling us, I'm okay. I can stay in here and, and do some things. So, um, no, it's the kind of effort and, and unselfish behavior that we've seen from a lot of our guys here. They just want to help our team win. So, Denver, they're top three in almost every defensive category here. So, looking at the tape this week, what we see from their edge rushers, let's start with that and mm -hmm. protection. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because we've told our, our group here the best thing that they've done so far is win first down. Okay. Uh, and so they don't give up hardly any yards on first and 10, which puts everybody in long yardage situations, which leads them right where they want to be so they can go ahead and pin their ears back and rush. So um, a big play in the game as we go through the game is going to be what we do on first and 10, um, you know, because they're giving up 1.2 yards per play. And so that's not, you know, that's the offense is playing backwards, you know, when you're in long yardage all day. So. Um, Chubb and Gregory, uh, you know, they have, they have guys that rotate in there behind them, Patrick and Barron. I mean, they, they, they all, they're always somebody in there fresh that can come off the edge and, and hurt you uh, if you don't do it right. So uh, that's going to be the job of the tackles, but it's also going to be the job of the offense, you know. Let's run the ball effectively. Let's stay ahead on the down and distance. Let's stay out of third and long. Obvious passing situations. Uh, they've had an advantage so far in the first three games. So we got to do a good job of playing complementary offense. Their culture with that organization, with their defensive backs, has been around for a while now. Yeah. What is that about? They really seem to draft well yep. and prepare their defensive backs. Yeah, they do a good job. Uh, you know, Sertain's a really good player. Yeah. Darby, they got him in Freightings. I mean, and, and they they drafted Simmons. So this is a team that uh, is deep in the secondary. Uh, they're sticky in coverage when they play man to man. They do a good job of disguising what they do. They're well coached. Uh, um, so this is an entire uh, – the, the entire defense is a really good unit. So, like I said, we're going to – everybody's got a job to do. We're going to have to play to play well together. They have a two-headed monster at running back. So they come at you in waves here, similar to what you're trying to do too. Yeah, tackling is going to be important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't let them get started. Uh, but, when, but when they do, when they hit, hit a crease, you know, we're going to need to get as many hats to the ball as we can. Both of them do a really good job of creating yards after contact. Um, and so we're going to have to get them to the ground. That's going to be a really big focus for us this week. Worked hard on it yesterday. Um, but they're both very capable backs. Uh, both can catch the ball out of the backfield. Russell will throw the ball to them, no doubt about it. So uh, they're going to have it more than anybody else. And so we're going to need to do a good job of tackling. Let's wrap it up with Russell Wilson. All your years of being in this sport with the GOAT and watching him play, going to two Super Bowls, winning one. They got off to a little bit of a rocky start. There's a lot of talk in Denver about their offense. When is it going to get going? What have you seen recently compared to the past, and what are you most concerned about coming into this one? He's they're, They have a good group, and, uh, you know, whenever you change systems, you change coaches, you change players, which they've done all three. 
Um, I just think it takes some time, you know, to to get acclimated to each other, to get to know one another, uh, and really be in total sync uh, as you're playing offense. So especially in the passing game, but this guy is such a an elite player, um, you know, it, and he's such a positive influence. You know, you watch him, and it's ten to five in the second half yeah, of a game. Yeah. And it doesn't look like it's 10 to 5 when you watch his body language. You know, he's always upbeat. Uh, he's leading. He's talking positively to his group. And then he knows that he's been there before. And he's made those plays down the stretch. And uh, just like he's done his entire career, the more critical the situation, the more he's going to have the ball in his hands, the more willing he will to, ex- to, be, to extend plays, to run, to use his legs to create first downs, which he did the other day. Um, he's just, you know, they've been behind in the fourth quarter in every game. Yeah. Won two of them and could have won the other one. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to play a full 60 minutes for sure against Russell. Good luck on Sunday, Coach. Thanks a lot. Josh McDaniels from earlier today. So a couple of things on that. You talked about the targets question. Is it ridiculously stupid or is it fair? He thinks a lot of it's fair. But the Dan Orlowski thing I thought was ridiculous. It was fair that he brought it up. Derek missed those looks, but the purpose of it, saying that he missed him or could miss him on purpose, was ridiculous. I respect Dan Orlowski. He's got an opinion, former quarterback. He breaks down film. And when it comes to body language at the end, what he said about Russell Wilson, I like that. I'm a body language guy. And I told him that after the interview. When we took the microphones off, we got a minute to talk. And I like body language when guys are pissed off, guys are in the game, guys are emotional. Russell Wilson is emotional. Doesn't get pissed. He doesn't throw tablets and do all that. But he gets his teammates up and he talks to his teammates during the game. He's animated. He's animated throughout the game with his teammates. Did you see the clip? That he, the clip that's trending of him, every time he's sitting on the bench and there's a run play, he'll yell run or pass, and now the whole team's doing it. I guess they weren't doing it there in Denver. They did it in Seattle. He covers everything. He's done it all. Derek Carr needs to outperform him at home. No sugarcoating this. Derek didn't outperform Kyler Murray. Or Justin Herbert. He was there with Tannehill because Tannehill shut it down in the second half. We need to see Derek at his best on Sunday. And now Brumfield will keep it and dive into the end zone for a touchdown. Well, so far in the first quarter, we've seen the Aggies break a lot of tackles, and this time Brumfield broke two to score it. UNLV Rebel football, three and one. I don't know the last time that happened. I'm paying more attention now because I like the coach, and I see the coach out, and we're wishing him well. A lot of mutual friends here. But nice, nice start by the Rebels. Go on out and support them. Get into Allegiant Stadium and support the team. Kevin Bollinger joins us from Fox 5, the sports director. Uh, saw him out in Nashville. Now we're back home against Denver. Kevin, what do you think of Nashville overall before we get into this game come upcoming? What, what a town to have a football team right off of Broadway. Wasn't that something? You know, they call it Nash Vegas for a reason, JT, and uh, it always delivers. It's uh, very, a very Las Vegas-esque out there. Uh, mixed in with a little bit of country instead of maybe uh, the celebrity, uh, you know, EDM type guys. Yeah, I thought it was interesting as we talked about this, uh, how close they are. I don't know what's going to happen long term, but I know a lot of different people are looking about how to develop around Allegiant Stadium. 
You can't do what they do in Nashville there, but you can do something unique that can copy a little bit of Nashville with their bars and the four-story bars that look out at the stadium and all that. I think Vegas is going to catch up to that, even though Vegas has much more entertainment and much more you know, billion-dollar casinos. Nashville does a hell of a job. I was blown away. You know, and, and that's part of the cool part is the people watching, right? And mm. I know when, when I have friends that come into town, they're like, where's a cool spot to go on the strip to people watch? And there aren't as many options for people to do that uh, on the strip because, of course, they want you inside the casino maybe and not up on some patio drinking beers and overlooking the strip. But uh, that, that would be kind of a, a cool venue for, for people to kind of just uh, soak in everything that Vegas has to offer similar to what they have there on Broadway. Kevin Bollinger, Fox 5. So we've been spending most of the week dealing with this target question, and you're there at the press conference. What do you make of this? Because as I just had Coach McDaniels on, we're going to do this every week because one week, every single week, someone's going to get more targets than the other. And we could always bring up Waller, Renfro, and say, well, how come they didn't get more? I think Devontae's the big dog. He's the big guy. And we got to look at him at like 10 or 11 targets at a minimum. And if that doesn't happen, that conversation's not going to go away. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. And the conversation goes away when you start winning games, too. I don't think that the conversation would be as hot and heavy if the Raiders were 3-0 and instead of 0-3. Uh, but the the bottom line is uh, that you know they, they are zero and three, and and so they need to uh, get it in the hands uh, of of the guy that they're paying a lot of money to, and that's uh, Devontae Adams. And he does have three touchdowns in the first three games, but he doesn't have as many targets or receptions, I think, as a lot of people expected that he would get in his workload. And I think it'll eventually, uh, you know, kind of come come through the progression to to where it's going to happen. So. Uh, to me, is this conversation happening? If they were three zero, I don't think Dan Orlovsky uh, is going to be spending time uh, going over that uh, on ESPN. He'd be probably looking at some of the successes that the, the Raiders had had. So, bottom line is win. If you want to stop the conversation, Kevin Bollinger, Fox Five. What do you think of Wallace drops? Looking back at it again. One, he had two hands on in the back, back of the end zone. Devontae was over there. That would have been a tough catch, but you know the catch at the goal line that went through his hands, that was tough, and he didn't lay out for another one. I think a lot of Raider fans were just surprised that he didn't lay out more. I never questioned his, his commitment. I never questioned his set. Some guys just drop a ball here or there. He dropped two in that game that were costly. Yeah, I mean, it's uncharacteristic for Darren mm-hmm. Waller with what we've seen here over the past few years, so... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I think that, that it has nothing to do with, you know, I, you see that things are always, you know, the, you know, going out and doing other things around town uh, with the aces or parades and stuff. It's like, you know what? The guy works his butt off. We're here every day at the facility. We see uh, how much they're working. And uh, uh, it was just uh, an uncharacteristic uh, game where he had a couple of drops and, I guess I'm just more of a, that positive type of person that says, you know, you, you got to just uh, pick up and move on and, uh, and, and hope that it doesn't happen again. And, and he's going to keep working his butt off to make sure that it doesn't. I'll wrap it up with Kevin Bollinger, Fox 5. So, Kevin, I think the team's been gashed down the middle of the field because they're missing Perryman, their middle linebacker, and Merrick. They've lost him two out of three games, and that's the spine, the core of the defense. The middle of the field has been gashed. I mean, I'm in Nashville with you, and they're running. guys are running 10 yards open across the middle of the field. And the first thing I said to my buddies was, why don't the Raiders run that, those routes? Why don't they have Waller and Devontae run 10-yard 
crossing routes over the middle of the field and cause chaos because that sure worked in Nashville for the Tennessee Titans. The, the Raiders were playing that soft coverage zone in the first half, and it got eaten up. Yeah, the middle of the field was wide open oh. in that first half in Nashville. I mean, it was uh, you know one of those things where I think we could have run routes there. I mean, it was, it was, there was a lot of space. But the good news is, is, is Perryman has been back at practice this week. Uh, they had him listed as limited yesterday. Merrick's been out there. Uh, Hobbs was at practice. They just came off the practice field here about 20 minutes ago. Hobbs was on the field in a red no-contact jersey. So uh, they do miss Perryman out there uh, patrolling uh, that center of the field, but it looks like they're, they're inching closer to getting some of those key defensive guys back because you know uh, that, that when the Broncos are looking at that game film, they're looking their chops at some of the things that they saw. And so the adjustment's going to have to be made so Russell Wilson doesn't take advantage of it. Kevin, last one, we kind of got wind that there wasn't a great practice last week on Wednesday. They needed a good practice and a couple of them this week there. And from what Derek and Devontae said, it seems like they're having it. It seems like the message coming into practice and out of practice is that we're coming together, we're playing better, we're practicing better. What else can they say? I mean, you're 0-3, you better bring your best to the practice field. I, I'm sensing they are, but they got to get involved in a game with Denver where they're not down big early. It can't be a chaotic game. A couple of explosive plays early. Get the running game going. Take Russell Wilson down to the ground a few times because these last few games you and I have been out at Allegiant, the last year's regular season was the greatest regular season finale of all time. And then we had Kyler Murray gate, as I call it, and hopefully we never see something like that again. Raider fans need a victory, and, and a comfortable victory, not this chaos that we've been seeing. Yeah, you know, Denver's defense has been awesome, and they yeah. lead the league in forced fumbles. We talked with uh, Josh Jacobs about ball security. Uh, you know, so the, they need to, to make sure they can get some points up on the board on that defense and then uh, see if that, if that forces the Broncos, puts, puts the ball in their court, and I think that I think that that's going to be something that, that they need to do because uh, if they can put some pressure on Russell Wilson, their offense has, has struggled a little bit here uh, in, in these first uh, few weeks. So if they have to come from behind, it just uh, adds uh, notches up the pressure even a, a little more on those guys. Thanks for joining us from practice. I know it's a busy day for you. Thanks for joining us every other Thursday. Appreciate you, Kevin. You got it, JT. Thank you. Kevin Bollinger, Fox 5. He's out there at practice. Nate Hobbs in a colored jersey there, probably non-contact jerseys. They're trying to get him back. Trying to get a lot of guys healthy. I still go through what we were seeing. Preseason was so perfect. It was just great. It was all Cliff Branch, Cliff Branch. Remember our summer of Cliff every day? day we talk cliff and then they were four and oh in the preseason oh my diana ross diana ross i keep the secret she comes out from behind stage it's like raider heaven hanging out with all the alumni introducing freddie and marcus and jim on the 50 yard line what a dream of mine i'm living a dream i'm on the 50 yard line and talking to fred bolitnikov oh and three no come on let's go let's get a w man it's not even October. Got to get in the win column. Will the pressure, as we open up the phones to you, this is an important one, will the pressure of having to win get the Raiders a victory? It's a simple question. Do you think the Raiders will be playing better under pressure? There's no pressure week one, none. Week two, now there's pressure because they're the only team in the league that doesn't have a win or a tie. Does that make them play better, or does it get them a little bit tighter? 
That's for you and the Raider Nation to talk about. You know what the players and the coaches are going to say. What are you saying, the Raider Nation? 702-365-9200. When we come back, a hockey conversation with a hockey lifer at UNLV. And I'd like everybody to listen and try to go and try to tell hockey fans here, if you're a Golden Knight fan, go support UNLV hockey. We'll tell you about that coming up next. Charles Woodson tomorrow, 1245 Pacific, 345 Eastern, brought to you by Meetup Vegas. I got the meat hookup for you. Go to meetupvegas.com and then just type in JT Brick. Stevenson follows it up there. Whips it out high for White Cloud. To the left. Out in front. They score! Paul Cotter. The backdoor pass. Cotter crashing the net. Jams it home from the right side of the crease. 4-0 Golden Knights. 11 minutes to go in the second. You know I love hockey. I love college hockey. I like pickup hockey. I love NHL. I love World Cup. Whatever you got. I'm all over it. I love the Olympics. I love the fact that Nick Rabone joins us, the associate head coach of UNLV Men's Hockey, and they have a big event coming up. Nick, good to talk to you again. How you been? Hey, JT. How are you? You hitting them good? Always. <laughs> good to talk to you. Tell me what's happening with the program right now, because uh, when I first met you and you started to talk about your vision with the team and how it's grown here within the community with the help of pro sports and especially the Golden Knights, how it's, how's it going for you? It's going really well. We got a great team on paper this season, so we're really excited. And, you know, we return about 80% of our roster that finished in the final four of our league last year, and we brought in a great recruiting class. And, you know, we're gearing up today to head to Denver to play the uh, defending NCAA Division One national champions on Saturday night. So it'll be a great exhibition game for us before we uh, open up at home versus Utah at the Dollar Loan Center on uh, next Friday night, the 7th. Yeah, next Friday night, the 7th, UNLV Hockey versus Utah. Wow, I didn't know that game at Denver, a powerhouse like that. Uh, that is an unbelievable opportunity to test your club. It is, and, you know, ironically, they reached out to us. Um, mm. It's kind of a new rule this year where NCAA Division One programs can play teams from our league, and um, they reached out, and, you know, we, we told them we definitely wanted to take advantage of the opportunity, so... For us to be able to go into you know historic place like Magnus Arena and play this game versus Denver, I mean it, it will uh, hopefully put our put our program on the map even more than we think it already is. Nick Ravona is our guest, associate head coach, UNLV men's ice hockey. So how is the program growing, and what are you hearing about around town now? As kids, kids are really the cornerstone of hockey in a town like this as they get more and more developed. But you're recruiting players, you're looking at players around the country to try to help the program get to the next level. How's that journey been? We are. You know, we we recruit from all over. Mm -hmm. We have players from Canada, Minnesota, New York, Florida. You name it, and they're they're probably here. Uh, but I, ironically, you know, we really would love to get more players from Las Vegas. And so it starts with us doing our due diligence, getting out in the community, grassroots efforts, going out to practices, making people aware that we have a, not only a program here, but a very good one, an established one, one that would be a great option for kids coming out of junior hockey to, to come and, and represent your hometown and UNLV 
Um, but we're excited to, uh, to continue to grow it. Um, you know, we have a great vision for the program. None of it would be possible without the Vegas Golden Knights and mm-hmm. being able to practice and play our home games at City National Arena. You know, we have a first-class college hockey experience for anybody that's willing to listen. That's amazing. So the venue there. And tell me what the partnership is like with Dollar Loan Center. This is the first time I'll get to play at Dollar Loan Center, mm-hmm. but they've been extremely easy to work with. It's a beautiful arena. Yeah. It's a no- you guys haven't been there. It's set up great for college hockey, 5,000 seats, plenty of suites, and a really cool area prior to the game where we're going to have some fun stuff from 6 to 7 as well. So, uh, you know, really within walking distance of Green Valley Ranch and all those homes right there. Uh, but this will be the first time we get to play there. We're excited. You know, we sell out City National Arena quite free, uh, frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough to fit in more than six, seven, 800 people in there. So I think this is an opportunity to see how well we can draw. And, um, you know, we have some of the best fans in our league, and, you know, we want to be able to showcase that at a, at a venue like Dollar Loan Center. Well, we're helping out. We want to help out, and we know Lotus Broadcasting does. So tell everybody again how we can get tickets, everything about this, especially the kids that are listening and the parents who love hockey in this town and want to go support UNLV. Yeah, great opportunity to watch, you know, very fast-paced hockey up close for, for a cheap ticket. It's, it only, they start at $15. You can get them at the Dollar Loan Center Arena website or at our website at rebelhockey.com. Um, you know, we not only have this game coming up there, but we will play a very historic game, which will be UNLV's first NCAA game at home versus the University of Alaska Anchorage on November 16th as well. So all those tickets can be bought at the Dollar Loan Center Arena website or at our website at rebelhockey.com. Hey, finally, Nick, I want to ask you, you're a big forward-thinking guy. Where do you see the program in five years in regards to competitive uh, nature, playing certain teams, uh, certain division teams? Where would you like the program to be five years from now? Ideally, you know, we would we would love to be at the NCAA Division One level. I think that um, it's growing so much now, and hockey is really – uh, becoming a mainstay in the southwest part of the United States. You have a program like Arizona State who recently made the jump five years ago and has been very successful. I mean, ideally, that's where we want to be, following those footsteps. Um, and I don't see any reason why not. I think that if we continue on the trajectory we're on and scheduling as many NCAA games as possible, you know, people are going to take notice, and all it takes is one check. Thanks, Nick. I'm really impressed with what you're doing, whatever we can do to help, and we'll be pushing this hard for you over the next couple of days. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, JT. Have a great day. And you got it. Nick Rabone, associate head coach, UNLV Ice Hockey. When you think of UNLV, you typically might not think of ice hockey. They got a really good team. They're playing the former national champions. They're playing at Dollar Loan Center. They play at City National. I mean, they're around town. I hope we're connecting with kids because I think what, what the key is, if you're listening to the show and you're driving around with kids, go support it. 15 bucks. Go watch a hockey game. These kids are great. College hockey. The contact, the physicality, the excitement, I'm really excited about that. Anything we could do uh, being in this town supporting UNLV. There's some times when the programs are quiet. Now they're not. UNLV football, talking about it more. The Aces, they just won a championship. Trying to get the Raiders going. They are a global brand. But, you know, programs like UNLV, Rebel Hockey, need your support. Would appreciate it. So go get tickets for that game coming up here, and you can find it at the dollarloancenter.com. Pick up some tickets. 
All right, so last night I was in San Diego. It's a miracle I got back here. I am fog delay this morning, but I was on time, and I was at a movie premiere, and Judge homered, and all my buddies, some of them are Yankee fans, they had it on the phone. I didn't get a chance to see it live. I saw it on the stream. Here's how it sounded. And the payoff. There it goes the deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 61. He ties Roger Maris. For the American League single season record with 61 home runs. It's a two run judgey and blast. Here comes the judge. A two run blast, and the Yankees take a 5 3 lead on number 61 for Judge. That's a 10 call by Sterling. They're all not 10s. At times they're warning tracks that don't get out. Sterling nailed that, and he's going to be judged on 62. So 62 is coming up here. Uh, Judge will have an opportunity to do it in the Bronx. What a great kid. I mean, the guy's mom's there. Roger Maris's son's there. Just a class act all the way to be associated with the legends of the game. It's an incredible honor, you know, and getting a chance to be associated with one of the Yankee greats, you know, one of baseball's greats, you know, be enshrined with him forever is, words can't describe it. Now, that's one thing that's so special about the Yankees organization is, all the guys that came before us and kind of paved the way and played the game the right way, did the things the right way, did a lot of great things in this game and getting a chance to be, you know, mentioned with those guys now is, uh, I, I can't even describe it. It's, it's, it's an uh, incredible honor, that's for sure. You know, I've been a Yankee fan my whole life. He does it the right way. He, he truly does, and he's going to get a boatload of cash. He played it out perfectly. He played it out the way you should. He, he bet on himself, and I said this the other day. I forgot if I said it here on my other show that you got two players who are going to be all-time greats, all-time, Judge and Lamar Jackson, who turned down smaller contracts to get more money, and they're betting on themselves. Judge is going to be at a, a, just a giant deal from the Yankees. Yankees are going to probably pay 80 to $100 million more to keep him because they tried to lowball him, and Judge said no. Judge could actually leave. I don't think he would because his legacy wouldn't be the same if he got 62 and he took off the pinstripes. Let me repeat that. He gets 63. I think he's going to get 63, 64. He's the American League all-time home run king. Remember, McGuire, Sosa, and Bonds all cheated, and they did it in the National League. So Judge will have that single-season record. If he takes off the pinstripes and goes somewhere else for like 30 more million, Yankee fans are going to be like, go kick sand. You want to be a Yankee. You want to be in Monument Park. So more from Judge, you know, I think it's a bit of a relief because he was sitting there a couple of days and weren't pitching to him. They were walking him. Definitely some relief uh, getting to 61. You know, you try not to think about it, but it creeps into your head. And, you know, getting a chance to do it, you know, in a Yankee win, um, and especially on another night where, you know, Garrett Cole ties the, you know, all-time single-season, you know, strikeout record. That's, you know, <laughs> that's a pretty special day right there. All right, there is news that the Chiefs and Bucks are going to stay as Tampa avoids the worst part of that hurricane. So that's a big deal, too. A lot of people wondering if they're going to move the game, what they're going to do. Uh, Tampa Bay, as they're hosting that game with Kansas City, decided to go to Miami to get work. And imagine that decision. It's a hurricane in Florida, right? You're in Tampa. That's supposed to get at the worst. And you head south to Miami to get down there thinking you're going to be safer. I think that's a big storyline. Lee Sterling likes Tampa Bay to win that game outright over Kansas City. I don't know. They've had a bit of a distraction. Brady hasn't been right this year in Mahomes. It's coming off a loss. Raider Nation, let me give you the best-case scenario here. If the Raiders beat the Broncos, okay, Broncos are 2-2, two and two, Raiders would be 1-3. and three. There's a really good chance that Kansas City's going to lose to Tampa. 
And if Kansas City loses and get them back to 500, again, I'm not talking the P word. I'm not saying playoffs here on the show, but that's the best case scenario. Now, it would have been perfect last week, even though the Raiders lost in Nashville, if Denver would have lost and they barely beat San Francisco because Jimmy G ran out of the end zone. And if everybody lost in the AFC West, I think there'd be even more mojo for the Raider Nation. But the Raiders have to win this game. I'm done with must-win, sense of urgency and all that. You can't go 0-4 in the NFL. You can't. Okay, 0-3 is almost impossible. 0-2, you could dig out of that hole. But 0-4 would be brutal, and that's why I'm confident they'll win this game. I don't predict games on this show. I'm very confident that the Raiders are going to come out and put up a big performance. If they don't, they, you know where you can find me after the game on the post-game show. We have Thursday night football tonight in Cincinnati on Amazon Prime. We have the Dolphins. Two is going to play. Dolphins are 3-0 and versus the 1-2 Bengals. This is a make-or-break game for Cincinnati. Cincinnati loses at home. They drop to 1-3 and after going to the Super Bowl as your AFC champions. So I think you got to see the best out of the Bengals tonight. And then we have a game in London. London! Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It's the Vikings and the Saints. That game's on Sunday at 6.30 a.m. in the morning Pacific time. 6.30 if you want to watch that one. Browns and the Falcons. Browns are 2-1. and one. They should win this game to get the 3-1. and one. Remember, they're waiting for Deshaun Watson to come back. Second half of the year, if they're around 500, that's going to be a real interesting storyline. Cowboys got to win. They're taking on the Commanders. I think Dallas will win that game and go to 3-1 and one on the year. Lions and the Seahawks, both 1-2. and two. They've been doormats as of late. Well, Seattle's been a little bit better than that. Good chance for the hard-knock Lions to go 2-2. Two and two. Raiders just lost to the Titans. They're at the Colts. Now, in a perfect scenario, remember, the Colts just beat Kansas City. And the Titans just beat the Raiders. I think the Colts will win that game to go to 2-1. and one, And the Titans will drop to 1-3. and three. Bears and Giants. Uh, Bears, both Bears and Giants are 2-1. and one. Jaguars are at the Eagles. Who would have thought that was a great game? 2-1 and one Jags. Eagles 3-0. and oh. Jalen Hurts, the Offensive Player of the Month in the NFC. Jets are at the Steelers. Bills-Ravens, I think, is the best game. Uh, Bills are at the Ravens. Ravens are always tough. Bills, I think, are the best team in football. I like the Bills to win that on the road. The good old Chargers make or break game. They play at the Texans. The Texans are 0-2. Chargers are 1-2, and and the Chargers are reeling with injuries. Cardinals at the Panthers. Patriots-Packers. Wow, how about that? And Mac Jones is out. So that's a freebie. All, all Aaron Rodgers has to do is walk out of the tunnel, just say, wave to the crowd, and the game's over. When did we ever say that about the Patriots? Broncos, Raiders, Chiefs, Buccaneers, as I said, and Monday Night Football, October 3rd, Rams at the 49ers. Rest in peace to Coolio, who passed away. What a bummer that is. That was a shocker to see on the phone. Coolio played Vegas often. He was out here all the time. Guy Fietti put out a beautiful tweet of him and Coolio cooking and barbecuing. So I know a lot of people today are cranking the Coolio in the car, paying tribute to one of the greats. He sold a lot of records, big performances and concerts. And I know this for sure from looking at social media. Coolio loves Sin City and was always in Vegas. Coolio, rest in peace. All right, Bobby, thanks again today. I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you do it. Bobby threaded the needle today. Thanks to Kenny Shedd, who joined us, which was fun to talk to him. Uh, Coach uh, Josh McDaniels from earlier today. Really enjoyed talking to Coach. I thought he was cool and calm, answered the questions, and got to get the team going here. Uh, Lee Sterling gave you three games. 
We talked to Benjamin Albright from Denver, the Bronco Insider, Kevin Bollinger from Fox 5, and Nick Raponi, who just joined us from UNLV Hockey. Really appreciate Nick coming on. That's about all we can do, man. That's a lot of people we talked to today, plus a few of your phone calls. Appreciate that. So tomorrow's Friday. I'll be at Virgin from 4 to 6 p.m. We do the podcast right there in the front desk area, right off the valet. It's quiet. It's nice. We have good conversations with some celebrities, newsmakers in town. I'll tweet out the guest list tomorrow. Come on out and see me if you're around. And then on top of that, we have Raiders pregame, 11-15 at the Torch. But my exciting news of the week is Charles Woodson tomorrow at 12:45. C. Wood coming into the JT Hood. Get ready for that. C. Wood tomorrow. That interview will be at 12:45. He's got a golf tournament coming up, and I think he wants to talk about the Raiders bouncing back from 0-3. So we'll do that. Q Myers is on deck. He is raring to go right behind me coming into the studio. Thanks to Bobby for the show. And thanks to you for listening, especially all of our proud partners. We greatly appreciate you from Raider Nation Radio. Good to go? All right. Travel safely home.